Hey guys, welcome to Sound Guy Tips Podcast. Don't forget to check out soundguytips.com. Uh, it's just a landing page with a, with a player that you can actually go and listen to all the episodes from there. You can download them from there. Uh, and there's a link to the Facebook group where you can go chat with other people that are just talking about audio. So go check that out. Uh, this episode, I wanted to go over some gain settings as far as when you're mixing from front of house uh, and you're mixing monitors from front of house, um, you know, what do you do with the faders? What do you do with the gain? And also grouping your channels into DCAs to be able to have further control with more faders um, and kind of how you can work around different scenarios where you might need a lot of gain or you might need a little bit of gain but they're not reacting properly in the monitors. So I'm going to kind of go over some of my theories there. So I guess we got to get it going. Welcome to Sound Guy Tips. I've created this show because I am dedicated to sharing as much knowledge as I can about the world of live sound. Listen, getting into the world of live audio can certainly be intimidating, but I'm here to teach you the technical aspects, key mindsets, and how to thrive socially to stay on top of call lists, land an awesome house gig, or get yourself on retainer with a great touring band. So this is Sound Guy Tips. Now can we cut this music out? Oh man, I'm sick of all this inspirational crap. There we go, that's better. Hey, my name is Jonah Kay. Welcome to Sound Guy Tips Podcast. So... In uh, one of my first episodes, I went over the festival patch and how to lay out your channels on the soundboard. And in the episode where I talk about ringing out monitors, I go into a little bit more stuff on the board where I talk about having to split the channels so that you have you know one mic going to two different faders so you can have separate control uh, other than the gain. So in this episode, I wanted to take that a little further and so now that you have your board laid out and your patch set up in the festival style so that it's it's easy to navigate, what do you do when you see signal? I should also mention uh, I'm recording this in my jam hall at the moment. So if you hear any noise or music in the background really soft, that's just uh, somebody else making noise in here. So hopefully it's not too distracting. So the two schools of thought behind what to do with signal that's coming into the board um, are, one is unity mixing, where you push all the faders up to unity or zero, and then you adjust the gains to kind of balance out the levels to make the levels relatively similar coming out for each instrument with the fader landing at zero or unity. The other is going to be gain mixing uh i'm not sure of the official term but it basically means you drive the gain on the channel so that the board is actually pushing the preamps on every mic channel uh pretty hot like you want it you'll be seeing orange on the on the metering uh not to clipping you know you want to test the loudest sound and have it not clipping but still driving pretty hard in the board then you start turning up the faders 
and you level out the the sound from from each channel with wherever the fader lands. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's at zero, minus ten, or plus ten. Uh, it's just going to be whatever whatever it is. But the sc- but the thought is that all the channels are getting a lot of gain on the preamps, so that the preamps are driving the sound, and you're, that's going to bring out the sound of the console. So I'll, I'll kind of try and explain why you'd want to do either, and maybe how you can blend both of them together. Uh, and use DCA groups to actually control the mix. So let's talk about Unity mixing for a second. So basically the reason why people do this is because when the fader is all the way up to zero, if you've ever inspected a channel strip, and when the fader's at zero, you'll see that the notch for minus 10 and plus 10, or minus 5 and plus 5, actually have more physical space in between those decibel levels compared to lower on the fader. When you pull the fader all the way down to to infinity off, like all the way down, and you look at the numbers, you'll see minus 60, and then like half a centimeter up, you'll see minus 50, and then minus 40, and then another, you know, small distance up, minus 30, then it starts expanding to minus 20 and then expands a little bit more to minus 10. And then between minus 10 and plus 10 is like half the fader length. So if you're mixing and you have enough level that you want out of your channel and your fader is at like minus 30, then if you want to turn it up or down, just a slight touch of the fader is going to make massive adjustments and it's going to be really hard to control the mix, especially uh, if you're mixing monitors from front of house. This could, you know, you could run into problems with this. Um, or if you go to turn up or down something where you bump a fader and it and it's really hot at minus 30, you're going to have drastic changes in the mix that may be noticeable to the audience or band. Uh, and you don't really want that. So, you know, a lot of techs like to have their fader up at zero and then get the level they want so that now they have the maximum control on each channel uh, as far as fader distance. So a problem that could come up, let's take a more of a background instrument. Say it's a full band and you have uh, an acoustic guitar, okay? That's usually kind of tucked into the mix and it's more of just a textured instrument in a full band scenario. But maybe they want it really loud in their monitor on stage. Okay, so you have your fader up to zero and you've maybe put a little bit of gain on it to get it to sit in the mix and they want some in their monitor. Okay, so this would usually happen in sound check. You would you would figure out whether this is going to work or not. So you push you start pushing it to their monitor mix. Usually their monitor bus uh, master fader will be sitting at unity as well at, at zero just i usually start with all my monitor mixes just at zero and adjust per band if, if i need to but what what could happen is you are mixing front of house without much gain and now they want a lot in their monitor so you start sending it to their monitor and you might have the fader up to plus five and they're still like more more and then you go to plus 10 and the, and your fader you're out of fader room to push it to their wedge but they still want a little bit more in their wedge because they're maybe the lead singer and they're playing acoustic guitar let's say use that as an example well their voice is going to be really loud in their wedge uh typically 
but they want to also hear their guitar at that level. So, you know, what can you do when you run out of fader? Well, you can turn down the fader that's sending to front of house, say to maybe minus 10, and then turn up the gain, and that will turn it up in the wedge. Okay, so you have to play around with how much gain you're going to use versus where your front of house fader is going to land to to be okay in the mix. So, of course, there's another option, which is you can turn up the master fader for that bus, which will inherently turn up the entire mix. But the issue with that, so it will make the acoustic guitar louder, but the issue with that is if you've already rung out your monitors and you have your vocals set at a good level and you know where the fader sits uh, before it's going to feed back for your vocals or other stuff in the monitor. So if you turn up the master on the mix bus, you're going to have to go back and adjust all of the other levels of things being sent to that monitor to prevent feedback or rebalance the entire mix for that person, even though all they wanted was the acoustic guitar louder, right? So you want to try and avoid that because you already have a mix going they like, they just want the guitar louder. So turning up the whole mix bus is usually something I try and avoid. I try and just leave it there. But you know, in some options, it can work if you just bump that up a little bit, but I try and avoid that completely. So if I'm doing a scenario where I want to try doing unity mixing and that scenario comes up where I can't send enough to the monitor, I will turn down the fader that's being sent to the mains and I will put more gain into that channel to allow uh, the wedge mix to be louder so they can actually hear what they want. Um, so that's that's one workaround. But now you have one fader sitting lower than the rest of them. So you kind of get where I'm going with this is Unity mixing works out a lot better uh, as a concept when you don't have to do monitors. So a lot of the time I have to mix monitors from front of house. So a workaround is basically instead of Unity mixing... I can still use that same concept, but have my faders all land at minus 10, which means I have to drive the gain a little bit more to get the volume uh, into the front of house mix and have the instruments blend together properly. But I still have, because the channel's been gained up more, there's more input coming into the board, which means I can send more to the monitors without running out of room on the fader. Uh, Also, when I'm at minus 10 to like say a guitar solo comes up well i still have the physical room on the fader uh between minus 10 and zero uh to actually turn it up subtly and get it to pop out and then bring it back down to minus 10 to sit into the mix um and then turning something down you have less physical control because the decibel level number gets smaller So to go from minus 10 to minus 20 is a shorter distance on the fader. But I'm not too concerned about turning something down too abruptly. It's more so if you turn something up too abruptly, you could cause a problem in the mix or something, you know, just something negative to happen in the way something sounds. So I go with start at minus 10 and and get my gains up to kind of work from there. So let's flip it around for a second and talk about uh, what you can run into when you're mixing with really hot gains. 
Now, I think the main reason behind people liking to mix with hot gains uh, goes back to when uh, you were using big, nice, expensive analog consoles that you really didn't get to have that nice sound come out unless you were driving the channels really hard. Uh, If you had almost no gain and you were pushing the faders up really far, the board's more so just acting as a pass-through for signal. You're not actually getting the warmth of the console or, you know, people use different words to describe the way consoles sound. But until you really have experience and listen to a channel with a little bit of gain and the fader way up, or a lot of gain and the fader not as far up to get the same volume to kind of hear the overall difference. And you're not going to hear an overall difference unless you do it to every channel and really push the gain on uh, across the entire board and then push them into the mix for the accumulative effect to happen on the console for you to start hearing the console. So the theory is that the more expensive the console the better the mic pre's are and the better they'll handle hot and loud amount of gain. Again, the analog consoles, there was a physical change because it was running through the mic pre right back out. With the whole digital system, it's a little bit different. You know, so if you're using an X32, it's a cheap board. So you could assume that the mic pre's are cheap and don't react well when you push them too hard. Now, a lot of the time, this is why you'll hear different texts being like, oh, I love the way that board sounds, or I love using that board. It might not have anything to do with the physical layout or or how they actually mix on it. It's just the way the board reacts with the sound. And of course, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, that sounds mythical. Like, it sounds like it doesn't even have any effect because the effects, again, are could be accumulative over all the channels being used in a certain way, but also just the experience of if you have the same microphones with the same band on the same PA in the same room, but then you swap out the console and you do the same things, you're going to hear slight differences. Maybe one's more, one has more clarity. Maybe one has more warmth. Maybe one's brighter when you start driving the pre's. They're going to react in their own way, which is why some guys like using certain consoles. So let's say that you're mixing um, with really hot gains for this example. So let's use drums. Okay, so let's say, again, you just get them to play the kit and you start catching all the mic channels. So we got kick, snare, hats, toms, overheads. And you're gaining those up until they're really, really hot in the channel. And you're turning up the faders until you're kind of sitting in a drum mix that you're okay with. Once you maybe, maybe you need to EQ a couple things, but it's more, more so talking about level right now. Once the levels are good, maybe your faders are down at like minus 20 or minus 15 and they're sitting relatively low and you're kind of losing the control in the fader because one little bump will make the toms too loud or too quiet or any of the other components of the drum. Um, So what you can do is actually grab a DCA group and select all of the drums and you can put it in the DCA group. So now you have one fader as a master control for all the drums. So if you want the control of each individual microphone 
without it being too low and you running out of physical room on the fader as far as having control because you're down at like minus 30 so one little bump is adjusting it too much you send them all to a dca group and then you just turn that dca down to let's say minus 10 as a random example pull the whole pull all the drums down um 10 decibels then you can go and you can push the individual faders back up closer to unity so you gain more control uh, in decibel level on each individual channel, but the drums aren't coming out of the PA too loud because you've turned them all down as a whole on the DCA. So then you can further that to all the instruments. Say you're using bass guitar and you have a DI out of the head and you have a mic, Well, if you want those to be gained up really hot and you blend them until you like the way it sounds, well, you probably don't want to touch those faders anymore because you like the blend. So then you can grab a second DCA group and select those two channels to be the bass DCA. So now you can just, if the bass is too quiet, you can just turn up the DCA and it'll turn both the the way you've blended both those mics, it'll turn them up at the same time. So the blend you've made for the bass tone doesn't change. You don't have to push both faders up and down and hope that you got the the right mixture. You can just use the DCA. Again, if you have multiple guitars, you can send those to a group and then you can turn both the guitars up and down at the same time to quickly balance the mix. Um, again, say you have two keyboards on stage Um, or you have one that's a stereo and one that's a mono on top of each other with one player, well, you can get the stereo level set and then you can get the mono level set so that the patches uh, from each one are relatively level. Then you can put all three of those channels on a DCA and then you have control of just the overall keyboard sound and I think you know where I'm going with this is you then you group the vocals, you group any other instruments you want together in DCA groups. The problem is the amount of DCA groups you have. You usually typically might only have eight, and that's a pretty standard amount. So if you have one for drums, one for bass, one for guitars, one for DI instruments, and one for vocals... Another one you can make is make another one that is all the instruments without the vocals. So you have the ability to turn the entire band down at the same time without affecting the vocal performance. Because sometimes the vocals could start getting buried um, and maybe you just want to bump the entire band down two or three decibels for a certain spot. Or when the vocals are done, you can just turn the actual DCA fader for the whole band instrument level up just a touch to have the energy come up in that spot. And when the vocals come back, you can pull the whole band down at the same time. So this is more giving you live automation control compared to just setting a mix. So if if your channels are gained up a lot and your faders are only halfway up and you don't have much physical control of the decibel levels on each fader, it doesn't matter. You can use the DCAs to do your live automation, turn up guitar solos, turn up the whole band or turn down the whole band during different parts. Um, And then usually 
people also like to send, and I like to send, a couple of effects to the DCA groups as well. So you're not flipping pages all over the place to find your effects. So usually one can be dedicated to reverb for vocals, and another can be dedicated to delay for vocals. So now you have your vocal effects you can turn on and off or go up and down in the middle of songs, again, for your live automation right next to the other faders that are controlling your instrument groups and your vocal groups or whatever you need so that your mixing comes down to eight faders instead of like 24 and you're jumping all over the board. Um, So DCAs are a really good way to combat having too much gain or let's just say the proper amount of gain that you wanted to use, but you don't have much control on that physical fader based on where it lands to get the volume you want. Now, one thing I will warn about is where you place the groups in terms of like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight. So a lot of the DCA groups uh, on consoles are put on the right side of the desk. So again, I'm going to use the X32 just because it's super common. Um, The master fader for the entire board is the furthest right fader. So if you put your delay effect on the DCA number eight, that's going to be the fader right beside the master. And if you're mixing something where you want to use a lot of vocal delay and you're riding it up and down and you maybe don't have your eye on the desk and you're just kind of throwing the fader up and down, you could easily accidentally hit the master fader with your hand or you could accidentally grab the master fader and say you were like had a lot of delay and you reached for the fader to pull it all the way down well you could accidentally grab the master fader and turn everything down or you could go to quickly throw a delay in and you bump the master fader and it goes really loud and it could be terrible so one thing you can do is not use that fader for one that you're going to be controlling often. Like maybe put drums over there um, and maybe you don't touch it the entire show. It's just there as a control um, and, and you don't need to reach over there. Or, you know, a lot of times I just put a piece of tape uh, above the master fader at zero so it can't go any louder than zero even if I grab the fader next to it and throw it up fast and my my finger accidentally bumps the master fader, the tape stops it from going and exploding the whole mix. So I could definitely get way more in depth. This is just scratching the surface on on different strategies or just mindsets towards what to do with signal once it gets to the board. Of course, I haven't even talked about EQ, you know, front of house settings. Um, compression settings, gate settings, all those types of things. I can get more into that in other episodes, but I hope that if you hadn't heard of these concepts, um, that it kind of opens your eyes a little bit and gives you something else to think about next time you go to the board. And hopefully it affects uh, you positively in deciding what to do with the sound so that you can optimize your mix. And uh, I encourage you guys to go to Apple Music and and leave me a review. You know, possibly a five-star review would be the best, I would say. Um, also, of course, there's the Facebook group, Sound Guy Tips. Uh, you can join that. It's a free public group uh, where I post the episodes and a little extra content, photos, and stuff that I'm doing on a weekly basis. 
um, and get involved that way. So thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll see you on the next episode.